The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Rogers News. Some Eurozone lenders are doing deals, but not the kind that investment bankers dream about. And Royal Dutch Shell wants to ditch the Royal and the Dutch. Tune in. Welcome to The Views Room. I'm Rob Cox, the editor of Breaking Views, the financial commentary arm of Reuters News, coming to you from Zurich, Switzerland. This week saw a raft of deals involving big European financial institutions, but they weren't the sort of mega merger transactions that corporate financiers have been dreaming about since the single currency was created. The action's happening more on the periphery. For instance, BNP Paribas is thinking about selling its $14 billion U.S. business. And BBVA, which already exited America, is bulking up in Turkey. Meantime, KBC, the Belgian bank with an outsized valuation, is getting it on in Bulgaria. But investors aren't so sure they love the idea, says Liam Proud in London. Meantime, Royal Dutch Shell said it would ask shareholders to approve a change in its corporate structure in order to unify its two classes of shares in London and Amsterdam. The company will also shift its tax residence to the United United Kingdom. If shareholders approve, that means Shell will no longer be royal or Dutch. George Hay tells Peter Thal Larson what it's all about. Give a listen. Liam, you've written a couple of stories this week that look at European banking M&A, but it's not the, the kind you think about. It's not Unicredit merging with SockGen or Deutsche Bank merging with Santander. It's, it's a little bit more peripheral. Let's walk through the stories. The, the one that uh, most of our readers seem to be interested in was about BNP Paribas, which is, I think, now the biggest uh, bank by market cap in Europe, yeah. looking at getting out of the United States. Yeah, so BNP, as you said, is, is the biggest market cap bank in Europe, it's $87 billion or thereabouts. It's a very interesting bank, and it's, it's you know primarily very Europe-focused, but it has this weird sort of American retail banking offshoot right out on the West Coast. It's called Bank of the West. Most people call it Bank West. Um, and the news broken exclusively by our Reuters news colleagues was that they are thinking of selling this business. Um, now, it's it's something that the market and investment bankers have been talking about for a very long time. There's a no, very we, we wrote about it not that long ago. We sort of did it our, exactly. Our, caller, our colleague Chris Thompson did a prediction piece that it would it would happen. Um, BBVA, which is a Spanish rival of BNP's, they did something very similar earlier this year by selling a big thing, a big US business to PNC. Now, the questions facing this acquisition is is kind of threefold, I guess. I mean, one is, is it a good idea? I think that's definitely a yes. I mean, the basic fact of European banking is that it trades at a huge discount to the American banking sector. So if BNP could sell this for anything like the kind of multiple that some of the U.S. banks trade at. Of course, when you talk about valuation, you're talking about selling at something time one times book value or more, which is well above the uh, kind of valuations that European banks fetch, no? Yeah, so all the Europeans trade below book value. BNP is like 0.8 times book value, and that's actually relatively high for the European sector. So the obvious play here from a shareholder point of view is to say, you know, we could sell this asset for above book value. The sector trades at about 1.9 times in America. They probably wouldn't get that because it's not a very profitable business, Bankwest. Maybe they get above 1.1 times. And then you have something like a, you know, 10 to $15 billion valuation. Um, so that's the first question, you know, is it a good idea? I think it probably is. But you do have this kind of second consideration here is like, well, in order to do a sale, you need a buyer. So who's going to actually buy this thing? I mean, PNC, which was the obvious buyer and the long mooted suitor for this business, 
they're busy now. They're integrating BBVA's US business. That was a deal that happened earlier this year. It's about $12 billion. So then you just have to run through the list of possible acquirers. And I mean, there's a lot of them, but very few of them have the cash to take this thing completely off BNP's hands. Probably one Canadian bank, TD Bank, might have the cash. But it basically means that he's either going to have to get a lower price, probably, because there's only you know one cash buyer, or he'd have to take equity um, in... Can he do that? Bank. Can you? T- and you're talking about he, you're talking about Laurent, Laurence Bonafé, right? The Bonafé, CEO. exactly, yeah. the BNP yeah. CEO. Um, yeah. I mean, he could theoretically do it, but it wouldn't be a very efficient use of his balance sheet, holding equity in a bigger bank. Um, would be quite a strange thing to do. And for various regulatory reasons, it's, it's very inefficient in terms of capital. So basically, good idea, but it might not be a clean break. And yet, on the other hand, you also have a couple of it. You mentioned BBVA uh, is doing something, KBC both this week, were basically announced deals around the periphery of Europe as well. Now, they're not, not quite as large as the potential sale of uh, Bank West, but walk us through those. Yeah, so it's kind of interesting, you know, BNP um, is thinking about, you know, shrinking its geographic footprint, whereas BBVA and KBC seem to be doing the opposite, right? So BBVA is, you know, primarily a, a Spanish and Mexican bank. They are recycling some of the funds from this American divestment into Turkey by buying out the minorities in Guarantee Bank, while KBC, which is a big Belgian bank, they're expanding in Bulgaria by merging their local business with Raffaison's local business. And how did the, what did the market think about those deals? The market absolutely hates the BBVA deal. Yeah, I noticed that. <laughs> the share price was down at one point. The, the equity value eliminated from BBVA was about the same as the amount of money they're spending, which implies the market thought that it was basically, you know, a worthless deal um, or, you know, worse than worthless, which is kind of funny. And it's spending $2.6 billion of its 2.2 billion part, euros. 2.2 yeah. billion. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's some reasons to think that that it's a good idea. I mean, basically, because of the thing that we talked about before is, is very inefficient capital wise to hold a stake in another bank. You can actually buy out the minority investors without having to pay full price because it's basically being held at an inflated value at the moment in terms of the capital they have tied up there. So they, for various regulatory reasons, it kind of might make sense. But I mean, the big picture takeaway from both of these deals, KBC and BBVA is they're increasing their exposure to emerging markets, which bank investors have two problems with. One, emerging markets are riskier, so you get a higher cost of equity, therefore a lower valuation. And two, um, they like clean, focused banks. And that's why this BNP thing is a good idea. If you have a clean investment story focused on a single geography, the market likes that. BBVA and KBC are going in the wrong direction on that score. Right. And KBC, by the way, is one of the highest, uh, most best valued banks in Europe, right? Trades at something like uh, at a premium to its book value. They also got hit on this idea of their spending their money in uh, Bulgaria. They did. Um, It looks like quite an expensive deal. And if I were a KBC shareholder, I would say, do you really consider Bulgaria a core market? KBC does. Um, I don't really see a good reason why they have to. And the thing is very highly valued, but maybe it'd be more highly valued if they had an even more focused bank. All right. Well, thank you, Liam. We'll be keeping an eye on these deals as they uh, go through or as the, the BNP deal uh, comes to fruition. And we'll keep waiting for that big, uh, that big uh, M&A deal between two big European banks. Maybe we'll be waiting for a long time. Though, huh? Absolutely. I wouldn't hold my breath, but fingers right. crossed. Thanks, Liam. Bye. Royal Dutch Shell 
will soon no longer be royal and no longer be Dutch. The 170 billion oil giant this week announced that it was moving its headquarters, its corporate tax residency, and chief executive Ben van Burden from the Netherlands to the United Kingdom, ending a 130-year association with the Dutch royal family. I'm Peter Thalarsen, EMEA editor based in London. Joining me to discuss this move is George Hay, our associate editor. Hi, George. Hi there. Um, so, George, you've been uh, obviously following Shell for some time, um, uh, but you, in terms of your writing about the broader oil industry. Um, how much of a surprise is this move, and, and more importantly, why are they doing it? Well, um, it sounds like it's a, a pretty massive surprise because um, the Dutch government didn't seem to be aware of it even uh, even the day before they announced it on Monday. Um, so it's a bit of a surprise to to everyone um, that they've decided to do it. But um, the the reasons behind their uh, their the decision are well, there's quite a few of them, but there's. They they aren't impossible. They wouldn't have been impossible to kind of um, predict. Basically, you need you need to wind the clock back to 2005, over 15 years ago, when Shell in its current structure was formed by um, collapsing this um, what was called a dual uh, listing listed company uh, structure between a, a Dutch bit and a UK bit, and they collapsed it into one company uh, with one holding company. Um, and that holding company, for reasons uh, <laughs> which were kind of uh, which which had to be the case in 2005, where it, basically it was incorporated in the UK, but it had Dutch tax residents and um, two different types of shares. So it had A shares, uh, which were the Dutch ones, and B shares, which were predominantly held by um, uh, investors in the United Kingdom. Uh, and so the, the, the big issue is that there was a different tax treatment of those shares. So uh, the, A, the A shares, if you if you are the uh, if you're Ben Van Burden, the Shell boss, and you want to buy back your shares, um, which he's doing rather a lot at the moment, if you repurchase the A shares, uh, you have to pay Dutch withholding tax. If you repurchase the uh, B shares, then you don't. Um, so he's obviously going to do the latter, and doing that. Um, rather caps the amount that you can buy back. So that was that. That's probably the kind of main proximate cause of what's going on. But there are other reasons. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's the official reason that they gave. Um, and I guess they also talked about um, uh, making it easier for them to possibly do M and A or, or kind of change the company structure. Um, yeah. I mean, it seems that. But, but but there is another reason. There is another thing going on here, which is there was this big court case uh, um, against Shell um, earlier this year, where which basically ordered them to reduce their uh, carbon emissions. Um, and that yeah. came as a big shock to Shell. I mean, is there an element here of Shell trying to run away from from the sort of the Dutch legal system? Well, that's certainly, you know, immediately when the story dropped, that was my immediate <laughs> first first impression. Um, that's the thing that is, is kind of front and centre in terms of Shell and the Dutch authorities. So um, people just are going to make that link. To be fair to both Shell and the activist who bought the, uh, the environmental activist who bought the case against them, none of them think that it would make a material change to um, what what is going to, you know, the upshot of that court case. 
And the upshot of that court case is that they need to cut their emissions by 45% by 2030. Now, Shell says we are doing that anyway, because, um, you know, it's, it's the right thing to do. Um, however, that only applies to their operational emissions. Um, the, the much larger chunk of their emissions is uh, uh, those emitted by their customers when they um, when they when they burn the fuel that Shell sells to them. And um, that 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 the treatment of that is slightly more up in the air. I, I think it's um, it would be pretty difficult for Shell to just completely, uh, you know, uh, we should say that at the moment this the. The, they've they've had this show uh, they've had this um court case finding against them but they are appealing so they might win their appeal in which case um this is all null and void but if they lose it then you would kind of get into a <laughs> quite an interesting situation of uh are they just going to do what this court has ordered them to do given that they're no longer tax resident in that country and i don't know you get into kind of rather interesting questions there yeah yeah I mean, the other thing, obviously, that comes up is is um, uh, they're not the first company to do this. Uh, I mean, Unilever, the Anglo-Dutch consumer giant, right. um, uh, made a decision uh, recently to also um, put its headquarters in the UK. That was after they'd initially uh, made a decision to put the headquarters in the Netherlands and the UK shareholders objected. So um, right. we've got two situations here where, where Anglo-Dutch companies have basically announced that they're leaving the Netherlands. And both of them point to this this withholding tax uh, on dividends um, that paid by companies as being uh, the, the big problem because essentially um, uh, investors outside the Netherlands who hold those shares, unless there's a some sort of equalisation treaty, uh, have to pay the withholding tax, and that makes the shares less attractive. Um, yeah. I mean, it does seem like there's maybe a sort of rearguard attempt going on in the Netherlands, possibly to try and change this. Yeah, um, no, presumably in order for that to actually, I mean, one of the things that, that, that is kind of complicating that is uh, the Dutch government is somewhat in limbo at the moment uh, after the election, but there there have been various attempts to, to kind of do something about that withholding uh, tax issue. And it's, it's a rather strange, it, it, there are certainly parallels with the Unilever situation because originally when Unilever were going to move to, to to the Netherlands the prime minister at the time was was kind of sweetening the the the, the process by uh reducing or scrapping that withholding tax for them so um but I don't as to whether they would do it in this case that's a that's another there's certainly kind of conversations about that at the moment but as to whether they could do it uh that's rather up in the air no, I agree, and it's um, uh, it's a tricky it's a tricky political sell essentially because the withholding tax, uh, almost by definition, is paid by investors who are not in the Netherlands. So, yeah. um, you know, it's quite a tough one to say we should give a tax break to foreign investors in order to keep these big companies in the Netherlands. Um, but this this uh, this may be the the spark that changes that. The other thing, obviously, that's going on which is another idea, again, a bit of a long shot idea. But there is also a move in the Dutch parliament to say, well, actually, we should impose some kind of exit tax on these companies before they yeah. leave. They should they should pay some sort of fee, you know, some sort of like some 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 percentage of the future tax that they would have paid before yeah. we can let them leave. Um, so actually, the sort of the political mood um, is definitely not wholly in favor of, of helping big companies, which is possibly also is what uh, is what has um, uh, has helped Shell make this decision. Yes, but I suppose I suppose Shell, if they were kind of 
you know they they've they've been um um having a back and forth with the dutch government over the withholding tax issue for well pretty much since they created their current structure over 16 years ago so you know there is there's always an element both on that issue and you know arguably although i don't know exactly how it work in practice um uh with the legal situation where they can kind of say, you know, we're we're leaving um, unless, you know, what 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 are we worth to you? And try and kind of play some hardball negotiation. But I don't I, I don't really know how that would work in from the legal point of view. And um, on on in terms of the withholding tax, yeah, it's up in the air as to whether that will happen anyway. And and in any case, a lot of the justification that Shell has given for doing this, um, you know, they've they've laid it on thick by saying, yeah, it would be great to have a single class of shares rather than two. That would make um you know the energy transitions you know m a that kind of thing easier so if they were just if the if the uh, Dutch government were to present them with something uh, extremely attractive and then they changed their mind then um that would be a a tricky uh, communi- piece of communication i suppose mm. yeah well i guess it's um, uh, um it's it's if nothing else uh, and we'll we'll have to see how this plays out George, but if nothing else, I think it's probably a sign that um when it comes to the relations between big companies and increasingly big governments, big companies still seem to have uh, a fairly strong hand. George, uh, thank you very much for your time. And um, uh, we'll follow this with interest. Pleasure. That's our show for the week. Thanks to our producer, Oliver Taslich in London, and to you, dear listener, for tuning in. Subscribe to The Views Room and our sister podcast, Exchange, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you go to get high-quality podcasts. And check us out every day at breakingviews.com. Bye-bye.